Here we go. West Hills Friends is a Quaker meeting in Portland, Oregon. You can find more information about our community at westhillsfriends.org. As a Quaker community, we encourage everyone to share from their hearts, especially as it pertains to God's leading in their lives. These words are shared into a community that values the opportunity to respond and dialogue about what is said. The responses and dialogue are not included in this recording. The views expressed in this content are solely those of the original contributors. And do not necessarily speak for the entire West Hills Friends community. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Gully was driving a car that didn't belong to her. She took exit 24 from the freeway, then followed a series of emerald green signs toward the airport. There were chain restaurants on either side of the road. The signs proclaimed McDonald's, Starbucks, and Outback Steakhouse. The hotels along the flight path were squatty and unremarkable. She also passed several industrial parks along the way. None of it was built to last. The whole area had a strange feeling of impermanence. Gully pulled into the parking lot. She followed the arrows painted onto the blacktop. Finally, a man took the keys that didn't belong to her. He said, how was your car? I hope you'll rent from us again. After retrieving her suitcase from the back seat, Gully made her way to the waiting area. She knew that most of her day would be spent waiting. She would wait for a shuttle to the airport, then she would wait for her plane to board, then she would wait for the flight attendant to bring her a small plastic cup of ginger ale. It all had to happen one step at a time. Gully stood waiting beneath a large sign that read, Notice. Please do not leave your belongings unattended. Something about this sign struck her as important. It must be a consequence of travel, Gully thought to herself. When we're home, surrounded by all of our furniture and all of the clothing in our closets, we don't really think about our belongings. We don't use that word. We don't open the cupboards and think, all these cereal boxes and cans of soup are my belongings. We only think about our belongings when we travel. As she rode the shuttle to the airport, Gully thought about refugees. She thought about people displaced by war or natural disaster. As they flee from danger, they carry their belongings with them. When does the stuff we own become our belongings? How does that work? 
As she entered the airport, Gully was turning the idea around in her mind. There was a long line of people waiting outside security. At the end of the line, travelers removed their shoes and separated the small containers of shampoo and toothpaste from the rest of their belongings. They stepped into futuristic chambers with their arms raised in surrender to the watchful eye of TSA. Gully chose the shortest line, but she was immediately stopped by an officer in uniform. He asked, do you belong in this line? Gully found herself strangely embarrassed by the question. She apologized reflexively. Sorry, she said, sorry, I, I don't understand what you mean. The TSA agent pointed to a sign that she had overlooked. This line is for premium and priority customers only. Do you belong in this line? Otherwise, the line for airport security begins over there. After apologizing once more, Gully made her way to the regular line. To accommodate the larger crowd, the line was roped into a labyrinthine pattern of switchbacks. Passengers took one step forward, adjusted their belongings, then waited for another opportunity to advance. It was like passing through the small intestine. <laughs> As she stutter-stepped her way through security, Gully admired the young family ahead of her. A toddler held everyone's attention. She rode in the arms of her father with a cup of Cheerios in one hand. The little girl was more interested in feeding her parents than feeding herself. She held a single Cheerio between her thumb and forefinger and shoved it into her father's mouth. Then she reached into her cup for a second Cheerio. She held it outstretched towards her mother until the woman accepted it between her lips. The young man said something in Spanish and the mother laughed. The baby ignored her parents' conversation and continued to feed them Cheerios. Gully heard a man's voice behind her, they don't belong here. Gully turned around, thinking there might still be some confusion about the lines. Instead, she saw a man whose ruddy face was beneath the shadow of a red baseball hat. The man took Gully's backward glance as an invitation to elaborate. He said, this is America. We shouldn't have to listen to them hablo espanol. If they're going to talk like that, they should go back to Mexico. Although their skin was a similar color, Gully wanted the man to know that she didn't belong in his vicious little club. She wanted to annul the connection between them. She wanted to challenge him, and to be honest, she also wanted to end the conversation as quickly as possible. From between these warring desires, she asked, how do you know they're from Mexico? The man looked at her with patronizing disappointment. What difference does it make, he said. They don't belong here. Gully insisted, I think they're a lovely family. Later, when it was time for her to board the plane, Gully fell in line behind another family. This time, it was a little boy, about five. He was very excited to be walking through the enclosed movable connector that joined the airport to the jet. His mother had to navigate all of their carry-ons without the help of a second parent. Somehow, she still moved quickly enough to catch the boy's hand before he could touch the controls at the end of the jetway. 
The little boy exchanged greetings with the flight attendant, attendant inside the airplane. Then he plopped into an empty seat in the first class section at the front of the plane. I like this one, the boy replied. <laughs> this prompted a knowing chuckle from the other passengers. We don't belong in first class, the mother said. There was a hint of recrimination in her voice. This is not our place, come on. As Gully watched the two of them move toward coach, she wondered, do some people belong in first class? Is that really where they belong? She was suddenly very conscious of being on a plane full of strangers. Everyone around her had a story. Everyone had their own hopes and burdens. Vaguely, Gully remembered that some other language had a word for this. Some other culture had a word for being aware of the people around you and the completeness of their lives. Because she believed the Finns were particularly good at melancholy, she wondered if the word was Finnish. And then she wondered, why is it so melancholy to feel this connection to strangers? Maybe it's because we're aware of each other, but we don't belong to each other. We don't really belong. In this story, I use the word belong or belonging 20 times. It's all about belonging, and yet there's a lonely feeling to it. Gully navigates this story entirely by herself. I think our language may be part of the problem. As human beings, we long for a sense of belonging. We're social animals. A sense of belonging is one of our deepest needs. And yet when we talk about our belongings, we're really just talking about our stuff. It's a term of ownership. A healthy relationship is not about ownership. That should be obvious. But we also use the word belonging categorically. That is, we talk about people belonging to one category or another. Americans are a category of people. Criminals are a category of people. Rightful occupants of the ladies' room are a category of people. This is where we really get into trouble. I think this really messes with us. We've turned our deep need for belonging into a conversation about categories. When we ask something like, do I belong to this church? We're not really asking to be categorized. Even if we happen to fall into an acceptable category, being categorized will never meet our deep need for belonging. Let me put this another way. You can belong to an institution, but institutions will never provide you with a real sense of belonging. The abstract idea of a collective noun, no matter how well-defined, will never provide you with a real sense of belonging. 
For the church to fulfill its calling, we need to be something more profound than an institution. If we're dividing people into categories, then we've misunderstood our calling. Just as Jesus gave Mary and John to each other, we belong to one another. Jesus has given us to one another. Belonging to one another is hard. It has always been hard. When someone asked Jesus, but who is my neighbor? He was trying to reassert the limitations of categorical thinking. He wanted to know, how do I know the difference between people who are my neighbor and people who aren't my neighbor? Because there has to be at least two categories, right? But Jesus refused to operate within that framework. He told a story to undermine the question because ultimately we all belong to one another. Jesus said, everyone who needs you is your neighbor. For the church to fulfill its calling, we need to give up categorical ways of belonging. We must foster a deeper connection than that. We need to belong to one another. What are the categories of belonging that matter most to you? Are there categories that give you a sense of belonging? Are there categories that alienate you? What would it look like if we really belonged to one another. <clears throat>